Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Let's get into our message today, Preparing a Dwelling Place. Here at the Rhodes Church, we get excited when we open our Bibles because we believe it is living and powerful. So if you have your Bibles, come on, Mount Carmel. Where are you at? Carlinville, North City. Let's open them up to Exodus chapter 29. Woo! Exodus 29, preparing a dwelling place. Sermon notes are in your worship guide or on the YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to look at them there. Note takers are world changers love our church. Great job. We're pursuing a dwelling place for the presence of God because one of our core values, it's our number one core value. The rest of them are not in any certain order. We have 10 if you don't know about it. You need to go to growth track. We have 10 core values here at the church, and the number one is priority. says we want to be with him. His presence means everything. So that's what we want to focus on, the presence of God today. I'm going to pray before we get started. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your glory. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you guide us into all truth. I pray for living word now, Lord. I pray that you guide my thoughts, that they be yours. I pray that my words will bring glory to you and you alone, Lord. We just welcome you to speak to us. There'll be more than a sermon, but Lord, I pray it will be a living experience with you where you reveal truth to our hearts, you reveal lies to our hearts so that we can get freedom. We thank you for it, Lord. I praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, what we've been talking about are the five phases of dwelling with God or abiding where God is. They are five E's. You ready? You got them? Enter, engage, encounter, evacuate, and endure. And we've talked about a lot of these in Exodus chapter 29. I don't know about you, but my Bible just opens up there automatically now. I've tried to open up to other places, and it just keeps opening to Exodus 29. But we see these phases here, starting in verse 42. Here's phase one. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. So at the door, uh, we have to enter through the door. The door we said was Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus is the door. If Jesus is also the word, then the word of God is the door where we have to enter to abide where God is on any situation. Do not try and get God's opinion or God's position on a situation, a circumstance, a social position without the word of God. Otherwise, we'll be limited to our feelings, our opinions, what so-and-so says, what culture says, go through the door. All right, phase two, we see there at the end of that, at the tabernacle meeting before the Lord, where I will meet you, this is God speaking, I will meet you there at the door, and I'm going to speak with you. Phase two is about engaging with what God says, engaging with the word of God. Go to verse 43, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Phase three is the encounter phase, where we encounter the glory of God. We meet him there, God fills us with his glory, with his presence, with the Holy Spirit. And when we encounter him, the living God, not just theory God, but living God. There's a big difference. I want you to pay attention today because there's going to be some things you need to take notes on. I'm going to drop some nuggets and some bombs here and, here, here and there. But it's about us understanding that there's not just theory about God, there is living God. There's churchianity, which is theoretical. And there is Christianity, which is relational. And it's supposed to be living. It's supposed to be an re interactive relationship. Not just ideology about him. It's supposed to be encounter with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not just supposed to have good thoughts about God. I'm supposed to meet him. I'm supposed to encounter him. And so this is what the glory phase is, or the encounter phase about the glory. And this phase is essential for the one we're going into today. Phase four is the evacuation stage, or the consecrating. And coincidentally, phase four is found in verse 44. The Lord loves me. Here's what it says. So I will consecrate, talking, this is God speaking, I will consecrate, everybody say consecrate. I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Notice what he says. I'm going to consecrate the tabernacle of meeting, the altar, and also Aaron and his sons to minister to me. I'm going to consecrate them to minister to me. How many of you have not heard the thought or not had the idea very much expressed to you about the importance for us to minister to God? Most of the time, we get God ministering to us. God help me. God minister to me. How many knows that we're not supposed to just come to church so that God can do something for us, but we're actually supposed to come to church to minister to him? That's it. I just thought he was supposed to do something. Then we get selfish-minded, and we come into church, and we think about whether we like the temperature of the songs and the people sitting around us or not, and we forget that we're supposed to minister to God. And when we minister to him, then he comes and interacts with us. I mean comes like God's not here on the earth through the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying he wants to manifest into our life. So, again, encounter him so that we can do verse 44. I will consecrate them. So here's what happens in phase four. Let me get into it. And Julie, I'm serious. She just gave the message. So I really was just going to say amen and let's go home after she shared the word. I thought I'd throw in a couple couple things that she left out. (laughs) So here's what happens in phase four. Because we've entered through the door of the word and we've engaged him and encountered the glory on the inside of us, We begin to, phase four, evacuate certain things that are no longer valuable to who we currently are and the direction we are now going. So now that I've entered into the door of Jesus, I've engaged his word and his ways, I've encountered his presence on the inside of me, and he begins to change me from the inside out. Now, because of that encounter with him... I begin to evacuate anything that is lesser, less valuable, less important because I've seen him. Here's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about a message of holiness. You want to hear a lot of messages on holiness, but I want to break it down and what consecration, another uh, biblical word would be sanctification. These words are still very important in our walk with Jesus. In this phase, there's a removal of things that do not line up with what God says and what he values. So I need to know what he's saying, and I need to know what he values. Instead of defending what I value to him, I need to yield what I value to him and let him show me what's the most important. Let's see what that looks like. Now, the message of consecration or sanctification, it's not super popular. And I prayed in preparation for this today, thinking that, Lord, this, will, this may have moments where it doesn't get standing ovations. 
like I normally get. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's not super popular, and oftentimes modern churchianity condemns it as anti-grace. They will condemn it as law-focused or law-based, or they will just simply call it Old Testament teaching. Sanctification, consecration, and holiness. Some ideologies say this about the church, that the church should just focus on making people feel good when they come to church, should feel good, tell them what they want to hear, never address anything controversial, just grow the church by loving people and doing good things in the community. If you've been here for a little while, that's not necessarily our motto. Not because it's bad to love people. We do love people. We do want to do great things in the community. We do want to encourage and exhort and build up. And with that, we also want to talk about the importance of setting ourselves unto God. The value of consecration phase. Here's what consecrate means. means to be set apart, holy. You know we're supposed to be holy. How many of you have ever heard the phrase holy rollers and realized it wasn't a compliment? When they, if someone calls you a holy roller, they're not, they're not complimenting you usually. They're not saying, wow, what a great Christian you are. They're calling you a freak, a fanatic. So you just say, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Holy, sacred. Here's the last word that's important, dedicated. So here's what I want to talk about true biblical consecration. True biblical consecration, my opinion, my perspective of Scripture, is about being dedicated unto something better or more valuable, which results in being set apart from something less valuable. The emphasis in biblical consecration is about, the emphasis is on dedicated to the byproduct is separation from. Religion, the emphasis is on separation from. What do I mean by that? Let me make it practical. Religion wants to focus on what I need to stop doing to be right. That's religion. Biblical kingdom mentality is what I get dedicated to or what I value, what I embrace. The byproduct that means that I leave certain things behind that aren't as valuable as what I'm dedicated to. Does that make sense? Difference in religion and and kingdom. Consecration is about being dedicated to what we value most. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He expressly gives us a picture of this. He says, but what things were gained to me or were an advantage to me, they were important to me, they were profitable to me, these I've counted as loss. That means they're now a detriment or a disadvantage. They're not helping me. They're actually hurting me for Christ. What's the comparison? Yet indeed, I also count all things, everything, I count them all as loss for, here's the comparison, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, Paul says, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Everything that I've lost, I consider it rubbish. 
Now, the Greek word rubbish is really cool, what Paul uses there. This is a Greek word that means worthless, unwanted material, garbage, or dung. Anybody know what dung is? It's poop, if you don't know. Sorry, was that a strong word in church? It's poo. Whatever. Feces. Should I stop? I've got a list of words I could use. But, but anyway, it's dung. So what Paul's saying, notice the valuation process. These things used to be valuable to me, but I've encountered someone that after I encountered him, everything else is unwanted, wasted material, garbage, poo. Compared to him, I don't care if I lose all of it. That's what Paul was saying. So here's what's important about consecration. Once we rank value in our life, then now our time, energy, and resources start to be distributed along the lines of what we value. It's all about setting rank and value in our life. Once I do that, then now time, resources, energy, all of that it begins to be distributed according to what I value. What we love to do, that's what we put our time and energy for. Now, consecration involves me adjusting my relationships in every area of my life towards the things that I value. Now, here's something that's really important. God gave me this, and I thought it was really good. When I'm talking about evacuating things that are less valuable, consecration is about evacuating things not unto a relationship with Jesus, but evacuating things out of a relationship with Jesus. Let me say it again. The evacuation phase is not about evacuating things unto a relationship. In other words, I'm getting rid of these things so that I can have a relationship with him. That's religion. Consecration or evacuation is about evacuating things out of my relationship with him. Or because of my relationship with him, I evacuate those things. So I'm not trying to get closer to him. It's I'm getting closer, and because of that, those things aren't needed anymore. Man, it's such a better way to live. I did religion so long, trying to quit this, trying to quit that, trying to get rid of that habit, trying to get rid of that thought. When I need to quit that, I need to straighten up. How many times have I heard this over 24 years of ministry? Hey, well, I just need to get my act together, and then I'll be there. Stop trying to get your act together and pursue Jesus and let him help you get your act together. Because I can't, I don't know about you, but I can't do it on my own. Can't do it, can't do it. So now when we begin to dedicate our life to the value of Jesus, it begins to separate us from the world. Now we're talking about separates from the world. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about systems. Very important for this part of the message. When Jesus said, well, let's look at what it says here in James, James chapter 4. Again, when our value is Jesus, it begins to separate us from a worldly value system. James 4, verse 4, here's the loving words of Jesus' brother, James. Adulterers and adulteresses, great greeting. Do you not know that friendship or love, affection, fondness for with the world is enmity or hostility or opposition with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we choose Jesus and his values, we will evacuate certain values of the world system. 
We'll evacuate them. Not because we're hateful, not because we're mean, not because we don't love people. It's because I chose his values and by going unto him, dedicated to him, I automatically leave those. And we as a church, and I'd say big C, capital C church, cannot be afraid of being consecrated unto the values of God and leaving the values of the world behind even if the world calls you hateful for doing it. Because we're not leaving the people of the world, we're leaving the values of the world. The people, the world is, the people in the world are not my enemies, but the values of the world is an enemy of the values of Jesus. So when I choose him, I have to walk away from some of those. Some of those that may be culturally acceptable. Some of those that may be churchy acceptable. Used to be there's a clear line. It's been smudged out a little bit. But here's what's important. It's important for us to understand to the value of scripture over culture. We have to value scripture over culture. Let's look at, uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Sorry, 6. Nine's good, but we're not reading, reading there today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I need, need you to turn there quickly. I've got scriptures to get through, and I want to get there in a timely manner. I need you to go faster than that. 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm just messing with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 14. This is a favorite scripture of every parent talking to their kids about dating. Number one. <laughs> Some kids think this is the only scripture their parents know. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness, notice that word righteousness, with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Notice there's opposites being expressed here. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial's a word used for the Antichrist or Satan. These are opposites. These aren't people walking harmony in harmony hand in hand. These are complete polar opposites. And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Now we, write, we read this scripture and some people have wanted to separate from people, but I want to submit to you today a different way to look at this that word believer is the Greek word for faith. It's the Greek word pistos, which translated as faith most of the time in the Bible. The word unbeliever is the Greek word apistos, which just means un or not. So he says, what agreement or what, as it's talking about here specifically, how they put them together, what part has faith with non-faith? That's not talking about, I need to get rid of those people. I, where, who am I talking to? Church wants to corner off against certain people they call unbelievers because of certain sins that they think are worse than, I'd have no place to go. Because we want to categorize things into certain really bad ones 
They're unbelievers. Let's stay over here as believers. That's not what God's talking about. He says, what part does faith and non-faith have together in agreement? They are opposites. So even within me, I have to separate faith and non-faith. I'm not, I'm not targeting, putting a bullseye on certain people with certain sins and saying, ah, yes, we're going to come after that. We're going to come after the homosexual community. Okay, while we're targeting the homosexual community, let's make sure we also got a target on the fornication community. Oh, we, don't want to talk about, we don't want to talk about that. We just want to talk about those unbelievers over there while boyfriend and girlfriend having sex outside of marriage. That's a little more acceptable in church. Chad, just fake generalities, Chad. Don't speak specifics. But this is what I'm talking about. If we're going to talk about consecration unto God, let's put it all together. That's why people are struggling coming to church because churches are cherry-picking which sins they want to target. God's saying, I'm coming after all of them. I'm coming after all of them inside of you, not judging you like mm, coming after them. I'm coming after them to give you something better. If you'll let me take that out, I'll put something better in. So where was I? Darkness, unbeliever, 16, agreement, temple of God, idols for you, the temple, living God is God. We sang about this. I don't know who's picking out the songs, but they're doing a good job reading my messages. Verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Be separate, says the Lord. Be separate. Do not touch what is unclean. You know what the words that we're talking about being separate there? There should be something different about us. Not separate like I don't associate, but something distinguishing. The Bible calls us salt and light. So there is something that should distinguish us that makes, makes people look at you and say, you are separate from the norm. Not you are separate from, you don't talk to any filthy sinner person, but you are distinguished in your behavior and in the light that you are to the world. Mm. Here, um, time's sake, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. The rest of that's good too. Man, while you're turning there, I'm going to read 7-1 because i got to pull up this point. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. One of the problems in the church, what's lost, we sang, song number three, lost the fear of God. The fear of God. Every, this hyper grace, we're all good. Jesus just loves me. I heard someone defending a, a, a position the other day, and they said, well, I'll tell you what, that's because Jesus loves everyone. Well, of course Jesus loves everyone, but Jesus doesn't love sin. He doesn't love my sin, but he loves me. He loves me. So I can't build a biblical theological position on what's right and what the values that align with Christ Without embracing the word of God, I can't begin to say, well, just the generic love of Jesus means everything's okay. Just because Jesus loves me doesn't mean he approves of everything that I do. Can I have a parent that has walked that out in their life? Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Verse, what, what did I say? I didn't say. Did I say eight? Say eight. Here he goes. For you were once, once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He's saying, hey, this is what consecration is about. Once I'm going to say I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to walk differently. Not like walk differently. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, I mean, you can if you want. That's wonderful. But it's the walk there literally is about how we live. In other words, live as a children of light. Don't live as darkness. There should be a difference. Once I've given my life to Christ, there should be a distinction. Look what he says in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We could read right over that and just blur through it like it's a parenthetical insertion, but I encourage you to understand this. This is what God was speaking to me. The reason he threw that in there, right after he says, walk like this as children of light, and by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, what he's saying is, When I get filled with the fruit of the Spirit, that empowers me to walk the way he wants me to walk. It's not just stop walking in darkness, stop walking in darkness, stop walking in darkness. No, that's the mentality of trying to be separated from in order to be righteous. He says, be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And when I'm filled with the fruit of the Spirit, I will walk as a child of light. Man, he's so good. Love the Bible. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to my friends. Finding out what is acceptable to culture. Finding out what is acceptable in my own mind. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You know what Lord means? Lord means he's running the show. Here's one thing we've lost in salvation. We've lost lordship. Lordship means I don't get to do what I want to do. He's the Lord. I can do what I want to do, and he wants he has a free will for me, but he's wanted me to submit my will to him and choose him to be our Lord. This is, this is important for us. This is why God uh, is wanting us to walk in this, embrace this lordship. Look what he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He did not say, don't have any fellowship with the unfruitful workers of darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying, the difference? Now, understand, if I'm a baby Christian, if I'm new, and I'm just walking away from certain things in my life, and I'm walking unto Jesus, there may be a time where I cannot fellowship around the same group of people while I get myself strong and established where I can walk away from certain sins. But when I grow into maturity, there should be a place that I'm no longer afraid to fellowship with workers of darkness as long as I don't participate in their work. God's saying, listen, I want you to be light to darkness. You don't avoid darkness. You go in there and show light to them. Well, I just don't want to offend anybody and I don't... Either we're on the right side or we're not. We got to have some boldness and some courage. Man. So now let's go to the next, go to, go to the next uh, turn to Ephesians 4. I'll try to finish here. In this neighborhood. Not necessarily the scripture. 
because I've got three others. Ephesians chapter 4. <laughs> Are you guys okay? I'm really enjoying myself this morning. <coughs> he says, this is Paul writing to the church people. He says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, just as the truth is in, hmm, is the truth in Jesus, yes, okay? The truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. What is Jesus? Jesus is the door. What is the door? The door is the word. So the truth is in the word. word. Thank you. Do you see how we went back to phase one right there? The truth is in Jesus. That you put off. Everybody say put off. Put off. Put off. Again, I'm reading out the New King James Version. I'm not sure what your version says, but mine's better. That you put off. I'm just kidding. Stop. That you put off concerning your former. Everybody say former. When I become a believer, there should be a former to my conduct. Put off your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust or deceitful desires. Man, there's a lot to preach there. But it's, here's the part I want to focus on. You have to put off, there are desires of our flesh that when we get born again, we give our life to Jesus, those desires don't always stop. Those desires have to be overcome and redirected to a greater desire. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem where Chad had, whether it works for you. Whether it, I tried to stop bad desires. That was it. That was my game plan. I'm going to start serving God. I'm going to give him my whole heart. So all these bad desires, I'm going to stop them. Just not going to do you anymore. We're not together. But the problem with that mentality is I start looking at these things, and when I focus on them, what I'm trying to stop, habits I'm trying to stop, I begin to analyze them and look at them and the first question that comes to my mind is, what's wrong with them? So I begin to put them aside other things over here and say, well, they're not as bad as that. So I don't see the big deal. I begin to put them beside other people that's doing them. I begin to put other people's faces right there by, well, they're doing them. So what's wrong with them? This is the wrong mentality. The right mentality is stop looking at what you're trying to stop and look at Jesus, focus on him, give him your heart, then now he begins to tell me what's right. He tells me what's lovely, what's pure, what's going to help me, what's going to bring me back to my original design and purpose. And he's going to call this stuff clutter. And now I'm going to be able to walk away from that, not because what's wrong with it, because what's right about this. What's wrong with listening to that song? I don't see anything wrong with it. It's not as bad as that song. I don't see what's wrong with that show. I said this earlier. I was sitting there watching a movie the other day. Movie that I've watched dozens of times. You know how you have certain movies that you just could watch 
dudes are like this. I don't know about ladies, but there's certain action movies that you can just watch every time it's on. Oh, yeah. You know everything that's going to happen, but you still like it. We're simple creatures. Somebody's dying. Somebody's getting shot. Something's happening. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Oh, here, this part, he's going to do that. Yeah. So I'm doing that. I'm watching this movie. And all of a sudden, as I'm sitting there, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I don't like this movie. And I said, but I do. (laughs) And he said, that's fine. I just wanted you to know that I don't. And I felt him like this started to happen. Not like leaving me, like I lost my salvation. Don't hear that. What I felt like him saying, I'm going to get out of the room and I'm not going to watch it. And I said, I said, but I want to be with you. So I choose you over that. Now I could defend it. I could say there's no perversion in it. There's no nudity in it. There's, no, there's this. I could defend my right to watch what I want. Or I could choose who I value the most and say nothing compares to you. It's our choice. It's our choice. But he says you got to put off the old. And then he says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind in order to consecrate your life. We're going to have to change our thinking. And that you put on the new man who's created according to God, who's our measuring stick, God, in true righteousness and holiness. All right, so you have to put on the new man. I have to put off the old man. How many knows, you ever been this, that the old man likes to jump back on you? You can put him off, put her off, and they just like to jump back on. Yesterday, mine tried to jump back on me. (laughs) My wife's laughing already. (laughs) Because she's seen this a time or two, evidently. Thank you for encouraging me right now. (laughs) This is good. So now seriously, don't pay attention to her. I'm speaking. I'm in Evansville. I'm at an intersection. Right. Amen. Do I need to say any more? So I'm sitting there. And you know how the green light on the opposite side for the left turn, you know, goes. And so everybody on this side that's going straight has to wait until the left turners get done going. And then the left turn light goes off. And it's just a green light. And now the straight people can go. And anybody wanting to turn left, you can, but you have to yield to the straight people. Everybody understand the law? I thought everybody did. So I'm at the light. Left turners go. Straight people go. I'm way back in the line. And so it's coming my time. I'm coming through, and it turns yellow. Now, I, being a straight-turn person who has right-of-way, wants to proceed on through the intersection, but some left-turn people decided I'm going to race across. So they come running right across. As I'm coming up, they come flying in, and I say, uh-uh, because I didn't want to hit them. And so this lady was driving 
And the, the guy, I don't know if his husband or boyfriend or what, was in the passenger side. And they came right across in front of me as I honked. He turned and told me, you're number one. I said, thank you. Really, that's too much. I would have taken top five, but man, number one. So here's what happened. <laughs> I, I, I had to put off. He tried to jump me from the back and put me in a rear naked choke. He's all over me like a spider monkey. Wanting me to think things and say things and do things and I'm like, put on Jesus. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out what the problem was because this has been an issue in my life. God took me back to different times where I have literally chased down people that told me I was number one. I had thoughts like there used to be a culture and society that people had to answer for doing things like that. Can we bring that back, Lord? Values of the Bible put off. So I got home. I go home. I pulled in the driveway, and all of a sudden, the Lord took me back. I was like, why does that, why does that bother me so much when someone does that? Why do I want to? go and talk with them and <laughs> shake their hand and pray for them and lay hands on them in Jesus' name. Why do I do that? And he took me back. This is what, this is about, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. This is about clearing out some clutter because all of a sudden I pull in my driveway and the Lord takes me back in my mind. I have a picture of my brother and myself, my brother's standing beside this tree. I'm, I'm on this side by our house, our underground house, and we're standing there and we're arguing over something. And I don't remember, we were young and we were fighting and all of a sudden my brother tells me I'm number one. <laughs> and I got so mad, I said, nobody flips me off. I'm gonna go tell mom, or I said, sorry, let me get the story right. I said, nobody flips my blank off I'm going to go tell mom. He said, well, I'm going to tell her you cussed. <laughs> so we decided to just have a peace right there. We said, no, never mind. <laughs> Let's go back to playing. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said, when you said at that age, nobody flips me off, he said, something was birthed on the inside of you. A trigger was put there by your words. I'm 50 years old. And the Lord said, I want that trigger. I said, Jesus, forgive me. I repent. Now, whoever wants to tell me I'm number one, I'm totally fine with it in Jesus' name. Here's the point. God is wanting to make some exchange and clear out some clutter today. He's wanting to clear out some clutter of your life and my life. He's asking for some things that you may have been, there may be some things like that. I didn't even, it's not like I woke up every day and I was like, oh yeah, 
oh yeah, I didn't ever think about it till he brought it to my mind and showed it to me. And I saw my mean brother's face. I'm just kidding. But I saw that moment and I heard those words come out of my mouth and he said, right there, right there, I want it. Can I have it? I promise you if you'll give me that, I've got something better for you. There's freedom for you. There's freedom from being controlled by a trigger. Come on, does anybody else have a trigger besides me? Don't let me be up here by myself. That we maybe said some things. If they say that one more time, if that happens one more time, if somebody, nobody ever does that to me. What have we said? That we've yielded control to something else. Here's another one. I will never get over that. I can never get past what they did to me. It's a trigger. It's a trigger. I will never get over this hurt. Can I keep going? I mean, just whatever it is. I just want us to ask the Holy Spirit. Todd, would you come here for a second? Todd, hurry. Can I have the microphone real quick, Jen? Please, thank you. Where are you at, buddy? Just come on up over here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I want you to hear this. Just tell him what God showed you and what he wanted. I'll hold it for you. Yeah. I'll help you. There you go. Yesterday morning, I got a little boys, our youngest boys running around the house. I've got to start my day. I've got to start it with God. I mean, my day's a mess if I don't. So I get up, put my headphones in, let him play, listen to worship music. God says, I need you to give me something. It's like, okay, well, what do I need to give you? He goes, you need to forgive me. So why do I need to forgive you, God? He said, you're mad at me. And at an early age in our marriage, Jessica and me, we lost. She miscarried. And I buried that. And I said, okay, well, what do you, okay, here it is. What are you going to show me? He, he shows me a vision. He says, here he is. Here's your son. I've got him right here. That night I got home, that night my wife and me were laying in bed and I looked at her and I said, here's what he looked at. Here's what he looked like. And I said, we had a son. I said, he was a son. And God, she says, yeah, that's what he looks like. I've seen him in a dream. And I said, God showed, we both were talking about it. I said, if we'll just give that one little thing, give the forgiveness to give, take the forgiveness that he want, wants, wants us to take it was tough for me to do because I was I buried it I thought I, I didn't need don't need this anymore because the more I give the more room I give him the more he takes and I just keep taking come on
Thank you, Todd. I'm very confident Todd's not the only one that needs to forgive God. Maybe there's a person you need to forgive. Maybe there's a secret sin that you have. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.